in your neighborhood. The prowler is in your yard. You know what a prowler is? He's about to try to get something from your house. So Sunday, there's a prowler in your yard and he wants to get something from you. That's going to be leading up to one of the messages for this month. And so I hope you can make it on time at 9.30 for that one and then continue on to 10.30 as well. But for tonight, we're going to go to the New Testament, which led us, it, it, tonight is because of last week. Last week was Psalm 119, and because of Psalm 119, we're going to go to the New Testament uh, with reference to Psalm 119, and it is about the Bible again. Psalm 119, it's kind of hard to cover in three, Sundays, three Wednesdays. And so the last time it was about the character of God. We saw that in Psalm 119. He is good, he is faithful, he is righteous, and he is merciful. So tonight, what did Jesus say about the Old Testament? Or what did he say about the Bible? Or what is his value on the Bible? Or what does he think about the scriptures? So we have read about what people say about the Bible. What did Jesus say about the Bible? Have you ever thought about that? What did Jesus himself say about the Bible? Or do you even think about things? I hope we think. I hope we don't just look at our phones, our tablets, and let things come before our eyes and not think about things. And as much as there's good things about technology, it can be a really destructive thing because you can get blurry-eyed, you can get kind of mesmerized, you can get kind of dull-brained just by looking at your phone or a tablet or something like that. So let your brain think and figure things out. Don't just swallow whatever you see, whatever you read about. Now, tonight it's about what did Jesus say about the scriptures or what value did he place on the Bible? Now, is it not true that what is important you place great value on? Can you think about that? If something is important, you place great value on it. For example, I have my car keys it is important to me because that's how I get around, by the car. And so, because it is important, I always want to know where's my keys. I know where it is right now. It's right there, on that seat right there. Usually it's on my hip, on my belt, on my loop. But that's where I want to know where it is. My phone's important to me. I want to know where my phone is all the time. Sometimes, where's my keys, where's my phone? I waste time trying to find the phone or the keys. At that moment, when I misplace it or didn't think about where I dropped it, it is not so important to me. But then it becomes very important to me when i got to have it right now to go somewhere. And then my wallet. Where's my wallet? Well, right now I know where it is. And you place great value on something if it's important to you. Jesus, did he place great value on the scriptures? Or was it just what people say that he said? Well, what did he say? Well, tonight, let's look at that. And uh, I lead off by saying to you, that some people in our world who are supposedly Christians, they don't seem to place much value on the Bible. They seem to diminish the Bible for other things. I think I understand why this man that I'm referring to tonight as I begin the study, he has said some things that makes you wonder, what are you saying about the Bible? Listen to these words. Listen to these words. In his book in 2009, Communicating for a change, here's a question that he answered. What do you think about preaching verse-by-verse verse messages through books of the Bible? This man says this, 
guys that preach verse by verse through the books of the Bible, that is just cheating. Verse by verse, go through the Bible, he says that's cheating. It is cheating because that would be easy, first of all. Then he says, that isn't how you grow people. No one in the scriptures modeled that. There's not one example of that. So he is saying, preaching the Bible verse by verse, book by book, is lazy, is cheating. That's not how you help people to grow. No kidding. This is what he said. Now listen to this. And that was 2009. In 2014, this man said this. At a stage, on a stage with, which had 5,000 people, they were there for a church growth, church planting conference. He said this to the people. You should stop using the phrase, the Bible says, in your sermons. Don't say the Bible says. Say instead the author's name who wrote a book. Then give two or three sentences about who the author is. But don't say the Bible says. Now isn't that kind of strange that this well-known southern pastor says these things? That was in 2009. 2015, listen to this. Zondervan, a publishing house, they publish all kinds of things besides Bibles. Zondervan released a series of Bible studies uh, by this man, this author, this pastor. It is called Starting Point. He begins by casting doubt upon the trustworthiness and reliability of the Bible in his opening statements. Quote, we went off to college, talk about himself and his age group. We went off to college and discovered that even though the Bible was sacred, it wasn't scientific. Even though it wasn't something to, uh, even though it was something to appreciate, it wasn't necessarily something that was factual. Even though there were stories here, in here, the Bible, that were inspirational, they weren't necessarily true, end quote. This well-known pastor in the South, he said these words, he is casting doubt on the Bible. That's what he says about the Bible. Quote, if you said to me one-on-one, -on -one, he gives his name, Andy, I'm not a Christian. Take your best shot at convincing me to follow Jesus. Then this man named Andy says this, here's what I would do. Well, I would not do this. I wouldn't try to convince you with the Bible. I would start with the resurrection of Jesus. Now that sounds pretty good, start with the resurrection of Jesus, but then he said before that, I wouldn't try to convince you with the Bible. Well, how could you convince someone about the resurrection of Jesus without using the Bible? So it's kind of a weird, strange, bizarre way of reasoning to, to engage with the unsaved by not using the Bible. But he goes and he says that it's not reliable, it's not factual. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know what Paul did to, to speak about the resurrection? He says, the death and the resurrection of Christ is the gospel. He says, according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scripture, and he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. So the apostle Paul contradicts this well-known man in the south, his pastor, by saying he appeals to the scripture to explain about the resurrection of Jesus. And so I think I understand what he's trying to do, what he's trying to do, but it doesn't make any sense because you cannot get away from the scriptures to explain about the resurrection of Christ. Now, this one is recently March 6th this year. So I have given you a progression, 2009, 2015, and then now March of 2022. Quote, 
the Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of the 66 ancient documents. It rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth. That sounds good, but it's not quite true. You have to have scripture. Without scripture, you don't know anything about the resurrection of Christ. You may have outside sources, but the internal evidence of the scriptures, which talks about the resurrection of Christ very plainly, that is what you go to, the scriptures. You cannot discount the scriptures. So that's to say, this is what one man says about the Bible. Let's see what Jesus said about the Bible, okay? Would you say that his words are authoritative? Yes, I would. Well, in John 17, 17, Jesus says to his father as he's praying, thy word is truth. So Jesus himself said that the Bible, meaning the Old Testament scriptures for him, because there was no New Testament scripture completed when Jesus was on earth. He referred to the Old Testament scriptures, thy word is truth. So the Bible he says is true. Whatever it touches on, it is true. Historically, prophetically, or in incidences or accounts in the Bible before his time and before the time of others, uh, of his generation, whatever the Bible wrote about, whatever it says, it is true. He's saying that, thy word is truth. And so we have this idea nowadays that people have their own truth. People have their own truth. Well, this is my truth. This is your truth. Is there a problem to say this is my truth and this is your truth? Is there a problem with this? What is the problem with this? To say my truth. The truth is according to what I think. Your truth is according to what you think. Now, that's between two people. What if you had seven billion people who are saying, well, this is my truth and this is your truth. It's true for me because I think it's true for me. And what you say is true for you is true for you because it's true for you, you think. Is there a problem here? Is there a problem here? Now, some of you younger folks, you ought to be thinking here. Is there a problem here? What is the problem here? I have my truth. You have your truth. What is the problem? Now, I'll, I'll concede. Sometimes there's no problem because the issues are small. The issues are just very minor. For example, what shirt are you going to wear today? Well, there's no truth about what shirt to wear today. There's no truth to say this color is the best color. That's very personal subjective. There's no truth about that. It's just an opinion. But there, there is, there, there are consequences to believing multiple sources of truth. For example, look at this book. It's a little book called Dell. I did not until last summer that this is a standard work about the trades, mechanical trades. It's a pocket manual. You put it in your, your, um, your lunch pail to, to read when you're on lunch break. You carry it with you. It's small enough to have in your car so you have time to look at it. You go through this manual. It is a standard work about mechanical trades. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is involving lines, angles, how many angles do you think there are when it comes to the trades, construction, plumbing, carpentry, things like that? This is called shop geometry. How many lines are there? How many angles are there? Well, listen to this. Whatever you think, according to this menu, there are only four kinds of angles. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Who thinks about these things? Who cares? Well, angles. There are four common types of angles. Number one, take a guess. Okay, straight. What's the other one? It's not crooked. 
straight angle, right angle, acute, and obtuse. Those are the four angles in shock geometry. This is the standard. You're gonna have to use these things, this information when you do shock geometry because it's gonna be applicable for something very practical in trades. And then, oh, this book is so full of different things. Um, it's just, it's just so interesting. What if somebody says, no, I think there's six angles or six kinds. What would happen if you say there are six angles? Hey, hey you, go, uh, go do a, a quadruple lupa angle. You would say, huh, what's that? That's a new kind of angle I just made up. But, but boss, there's only four kinds of angles. No, you know, that's six angles. Make the number six angle for me. I don't know what to do. He says, that's the truth. No, you see, when you have subjective truth that way, you have disagreement, you can have trouble. So that's an idea to say that when you have multiple authorities, multiple sources of truth, and not just one truth, everybody's right, nobody's wrong, you can have some clashes. Now, let me ask you this. When there are differences of opinion, differences of authority, this guy's truth contradicts this guy's truth, what's going to happen if both believe that their truth is right? What's going to happen? I just gave it away. You're going to have a clash. So, so Jamie's truth is this. Anna's truth is this. Both feel very strongly about what they think is the truth about something. And Anna says, your truth is not right. And she says, well, who do you think you are telling me that my truth is not right? This is my truth. And Anna says, you know what? You think you're right about this, but you're wrong because my truth is right. And then Jamie says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are wrong because my truth is right. You see the logical problem here? You're going to have clash all the time if there are two competing, contradicting truths. You cannot have multiple truths. Well, what did Jesus say about truth? He says, thy word, thy word is truth. Therefore, anything anybody says is truth compared to the Bible, what Jesus says, which side are you going to take? My, my word is truth. Jesus says, uh-uh, God's word is truth. You say, uh-uh, Jesus says, don't uh-uh me. <laughs> but, 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 we've believed this for how many generations? The Lord says, but thy word is truth. John 17, 17. So what are you going to have? You're going to have a fight. Who is right? Who is wrong? Well, God's word is truth. So there you go. Jesus, his opinion, his feeling, his value on the Bible is that God's word is the truth. And nothing else would be the truth if his word is truth. Now, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what does that mean? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, if that's only his truth, that's what he believes. But here comes another man. Here comes Buddha. Here comes Confucius. Here comes Muhammad. Here comes whoever else you want to name, Joseph Smith. Here comes anybody else who began something like a religion. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am the way. But Jesus said, I am the way. Who is telling the truth? They both cannot be right because they both are saying different things. Do you understand the problem here? Truth is the truth. Jesus says, thy word is truth. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. Therefore, you cannot be the truth. You cannot be the way for salvation. 
Do you know that people in this world, and even before you're born, for centuries have done many religious things because they follow a man, they follow a teaching, they believe it's the truth, but it's the wrong way for a personal salvation because Jesus himself said, Thy word is truth, and he is the way to the Father. So, you, this is why you, you, they say in this world, never argue about politics or religion. Because in politics, there are different opinions, different ways of believing, and different convictions that people have, and they're always going to argue. When it comes to religion, you have fights because, for one thing, if this was only in two ways, A and B, for one thing, Jesus said this, but religion says this. Now, when it comes to just the religion part, Buddha says this, and Mormons say this, you see? So they cannot agree because they both believe differently. They both have different convictions. So let's put that aside. Let's put everything on this side over here, and let's just put Jesus over here and everything else over here. All religions over here, Jesus over here. All these religions may, may get along with each other, and they all may say, well, let's just get together and let's not disagree about something. Let's just agree to disagree. Let's just hug, hug, and, and kumbaya on this side. They all have a good time. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. They say, so can we, can you come join us? Jesus is not going to say, I'm going to join you. He's going to say, no, no, I'm the way. You are not the way. You're wrong. I'm right. They say, but you cannot be right. You, are you telling us, even before you came, Jesus, that, that we're wrong? Even, there was religion before Jesus came. You know that? And so they're going to say, well, we have the code of Hammurabi. And that was before Moses gave his Ten Commandments, so he copied from us. Jesus is going to say, no, thy word is truth. Yeah, but, so the, it's never going to be compatible. You cannot hold hands with this side. You cannot walk around. How can two walk together unless they have agreement? They cannot walk together. Anymore can be an unequally yoked, uh, a horse and a lion. Can you imagine a horse and lion going together, being yoked together? Can you believe that? You think that ever happened? What about a donkey and a tiger? You think they're ever going to get yoked together and plow? I don't think so. How can Buddha and Jesus get together and say, we're all going on the same road? No, no. Thy word is truth. Therefore, if this is the truth, this is error. Now, that can never change. So let's take a look at some Bible verses here. Uh, Jesus said this about the Bible. The word of God is truth, and it's not your truth versus my truth, because I'm only one that's right when it comes to the spiritual things, salvation. This has other practical things as well. And so now we have number one. How important was scripture to Jesus? How much did he value the Bible? First of all, Jesus endorsed the Old Testament. Number one, Jesus endorsed the Old Testament. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Jesus endorsed the Old Testament. What was his value? What is his opinion about the Bible? Well, let's take a look. I'm telling you that Jesus endorsed the Old Testament. The Old Testament, oh no, that's just not scripture and it's just no, 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 no. Jesus, if he endorsed the Old Testament, then we will say, okay, we accept the Old Testament as authoritative as much as we say the New Testament is. It is part of the scriptures as well. Luke 24, verse 24. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even as, so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, Jesus has walked with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the town of Emmaus. O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Do you notice something unusual about what Jesus said to these two disciples? 
that didn't have faith to believe the scriptures or prophecies of the Old Testament. He, he calls them fools for not believing. We'd never call someone a fool for not believing, but Jesus did. Verse 26, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus said, Moses was a real man. By him saying, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he's saying, I believe what Moses wrote. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the first book of Genesis, all to the prophets, all through the writings, the things concerning himself. And so Jesus Christ himself said, the Old Testament is true. The Old Testament spoke about him. He's saying also, by saying that, that the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures and that the prophetical statements was about him. So he is saying, you can find me in the Old Testament. Okay, do you understand what he said about the Bible? He endorsed it. He didn't cost thought of it. He didn't say, it's inspirational, but the stories are not true. He didn't say that like Andy Stanley said that. Crazy, unbelievable for this influential man in the South to say the Bible It's not reliable, but he's trying to reach people, and that justifies him saying the Bible's not reliable? I don't think so. All right, so by referring to the Old Testament, he is validating its inspiration, saying that it is true. And then also, by saying Moses and the prophets, he is saying that he believes that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, the book of, what's after Genesis? You must know the first five books that Moses wrote. He is saying that I accept and I endorse the authorship of the first five books that it was Moses, Moses and the prophets. Uh, he also said, I believe in what Moses wrote, the sixth day creation. And the first day was the second and the sixth day and so on. And he's also saying, I believe in the literal Adam and Eve. Do you know that when you get to studying some more about the Bible and you go to a Bible school of some sort or seminary, they want to really try to emphasize the intellectual aspects of study and knowing the Bible and the ancient languages and so on, all the different contemporary scenes of the, the context and back in the historical, and that's all good. But do you know sometimes in the name of academics, they can teach students to cast, to have doubt on the Bible? Scholars, uh, 19th century, German rationalists, they caused people to doubt that the Bible is authentic in the Old Testament. You know, I don't think Moses was a real man. You know, uh, Adam and Eve, really? Really? Adam and Eve? Really? Out of his side? He made a woman out of a man? Really? No kidding? This cannot be true. Logically, how can that happen? Medically speaking, how do you explain that? And so because of that, they say, no, that's just metaphorical, symbolic. It means something else. But Jesus said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. As Moses said, so he endorsed what Moses said, which means he endorsed what Moses wrote about. And so those are some examples about that. Uh, not symbolic, not metaphorical. Now, in Luke 24, look at verse number 44. 44. Verse 44. Luke 24, 44. What did Jesus say about the Bible? Where did it put... Uh, 
what kind of value did he have in the Bible? Well, let's see. Verse number 44. He's still talking to the two on the road to Emmaus. Verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all the things must be fulfilled. What things fulfilled? The things of the Old Testament. The scriptures, which were written in the law of Moses. And in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. In other words, the sections of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, the sections beginning with, beginning with Moses, Genesis, going into the, the historical books, the prophetic books, the, the songs, he says, this is written about me. So Jesus, what is his opinion on the Bible? It's inspired by God. Did he have high value on it? Yes. The prophecies are concerning me. So, look at verse number 45. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. Let me tell you something about understanding, verse number 45. Sometimes, sometimes your mind can be so distracted, your brain can be so foggy, because, and you cannot concentrate on the truth, because your mind is so occupied with junk, so occupied with stuff, unimportant stuff, interesting stuff, but unimportant stuff, and you just cannot understand what the Bible is saying. It's hard. Do you sometimes have a hard time focusing? Do you sometimes feel like you gotta take some kind of pill? Focus? They have on the radio this thing called Focus Factor. Uh, used to be advertised in Rush Demos program. I don't know if it still is or not, but it's a thing called Focus Factor. You take these things, it's a herbal thing, it's a natural thing. It's supposed to help you concentrate. Well, one way to have you concentrate is not get your brain so full of stuff that is distracting to your mind. Now, the brain is a very fascinating piece up here under your head, in your skull. You can do multiple things at one time, but sometimes you can get so full of stuff that you can't focus on important things. Let me, let me qualify that by saying you cannot focus on more important things. There's a lot of things you can read and learn about online through YouTube, other sources, at your fingertips. But not everything that you see and learn is good for you. There's something, it just, it just fills the spaces in your mind. If your mind is like a warehouse, if your mind is like your bedroom. Now, I'm not going to go into your bedroom, but I bet you a teenager's bedroom is not very neat. Mine wasn't. My kids' bedrooms were not. Probably your kids' bedrooms are not neat too. They go through a phase of messiness. I don't know what that is, but hopefully one day they'll grow out of it before they leave the house, before they're 18 years old. But usually, um, um, it's messy. Now, there's clutter there. Now, when there's clutter on your desk, I don't know how people can do any work if there's clutter on their desk. Now, it just distracts you. He said, then he opened their understanding. I think sometimes my point is this. I think sometimes it's our fault that we don't get our understanding open because we're so distracted by information and stuff that's not too important. Oh, the royals. Oh, did you know that so-and-so bought a dress? I don't care. Uh, do you know so-and-so ate this? So. Oh, do you know so-and-so said this? Did you see what the Twitter feed is, what he said on Twitter? Oh, really? Everybody's so wrapped up in the little thing that comes on your phone as if this is important. Well, 
We get so distracted, so full of stuff that we can't understand anything. Hard, isn't it, to just spend time and concentration on something? Now, I'm not going to say they're not factors, but I said that is one factor. But the Lord can open our understanding. And so he says in verse 45, Then opening he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. Verse 46, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So the resurrection of Christ, sorry, Mr. Andy, uh, you find about that, find out about that from the scriptures. That's how you know about the man, Christ Jesus, from the scriptures. All right, so what was his feeling about the Bible? He believed it was true. What value did it place on it? Great value. Now, did he say that he believed Genesis? Yes. Did he say he believed the Psalms? Yes. Did he say he believed... Yes, one more scripture about that. Matthew 24. Turn to Matthew 24. What does he think about the Bible? Well, what matters is what did Jesus say about the Bible? Did he place value in the Bible? Yes, he did. Matthew 24. And verse 35, 24-35. Here's what Jesus said about the Bible. Look at verse 35. Now think of a word to describe verse number 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What word to describe what he just said? It's permanent. The Bible will outlast creation itself. The universe is going to pass away before the scriptures pass away. So what did Jesus think about the scripture? He thought it was inspired by God, and he also thought it's permanent. I don't mean thought like, oh, I just think, no, no. When I say he thought, I mean his view of the scriptures is that it is permanent. It is everlasting. Not one word, not one jot, not one tittle will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away before his Bible passes away. That's pretty permanent. Mm -hmm. Now, look at verse number 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 37. But as the days of Noe, or Noah, were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, okay, you got Noah, you get the flood. Verse 38. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, routine things, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And 39 says, And knew not until the flood came. Okay. Days of Noah, the flood. Noah entered. 39. Flood. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What do you find from these verses about the flood and about Noah and about what happened? Do you say he believed that it was real? Yes. Do you say that he, did, did Jesus, he had a perfect chance to say, you know, that's a good story, but it's not true. It's not accurate. It's not factual. He, he could have said like Andy did, but he didn't do that. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, he's using that as a reference point that suddenly the floods came. Likewise, suddenly the Son of Man shall return. He said that's historical. He said it's real. It really happened. He's endorsing. 
He's endorsing what the Old Testament scripture said. He's endorsing it. Okay. Entered into the ark. He's saying everything was literal, not figurative, symbolic. Literal miracles, kings, nations, personalities, what happened, really happened. That's what Jesus is saying. So, number one, Jesus said that the Bible is inspired by God. He accepted its statements about people and about events like the flood and like about Adam and Eve and Noah and Moses. Now, look at Mark chapter 10. One more thought on this point about he endorsed the scriptures. Mark chapter 10. Now, right now, some of you may be having a hard time sitting still and turn to Bible verses and those who are watching by video. It could be because you are so distracted because you want to keep in touch with what's really happening five minutes ago. Did so-and-so say, did so-and-so do? I wonder what's going on. We cannot, we've got, to, we've got to stop and focus on what the Bible says. Make time to be still and know that he is God. Mark 10, 3. Mark 10, 3. Now here's what Jesus said. Mark 10, verse number 3. He answered, said unto them, What did Moses command you? Once again, he is endorsing the authorship of Moses, the first five books. What did Moses command you? He didn't say, now what did that guy write, that whoever that guy wrote the first five books, I don't know what his name is, I don't know exactly what he is, but whatever that guy, you know, the kind guy, he didn't do that. Verse 4, and they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Verse 5, and Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Verse 6, but, but, but from the beginning of the creation of God, see, Jesus accepted Moses' statement about creation. But from the beginning of the creation of God, made them A and B. What is A and B? Or maybe I should say M and F. God made them M and F. What is that? From the beginning, God made them male and female. Now, you know what that is saying? Jesus made a statement about the biology of mankind. It is man and woman, male and female. The violence of mankind is only male and female. Now, how contemporary is the Bible? How up-to-date is the Bible? With all this monkey business about whatever I want to be called, that's what I am. The Lord endorsed the Old Testament. Look at verse number 7. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one. no more are they two, they're one. So not only did he talk about the biology of mankind, he talked about the blessed union of marriage. The blessed union of marriage is between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. So now, what you have here, because people have their own truth, because Americans have their own truth, it is no longer man and woman, it is no, it is no longer just like that, so clear, so how we call it traditional. It's no longer that. It is not what we think is so, and therefore we can do whatever we want, no matter how wrong it is. And 
the Lord's opinion is the Bible is correct. And your truth about this issue of marriage is totally wrong. Totally, the word is perverted when you say it is not male and female. But in the beginning it is, according to the one who is the truth. And so he endorsed, he endorsed the Old Testament and what Moses said. And in Mark chapter 10, the accounts of creation and man and the propagation of life. You are seeing before your very eyes in these last days how man has made a vulgar gesture toward God in the Bible by doing what they want to do in their own truth, disregarding God's truth. That is what you're seeing. The curtains have been pulled back, they've come out of the closet, they've come out of the cesspool, and they're acting out, they're acting out what's in their wicked hearts, disregarding what the truth of God said about these matters. Well, pick your, pick your sides, pick to stand for what Jesus said or what the world says. Number two, number two, the second thing about what the Lord said about the scriptures is Jesus endured temptations because of the scriptures. This shows the value he placed on trusting the Bible. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, you're going to have to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 4, and I will summarize Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 are the accounts of the Lord being tempted by the devil. And he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible emphasizes days and nights. Now, when you and I are hungry, we do get emotional about it. <laughs> when you haven't eaten for so many hours, they say your stomach growls. I don't know if your stomach growls, but you feel kind of antsy, irritated. You feel kind of like, uh, and you're, you're touchy, and you can't sit still. Now, when people are in church and they haven't had breakfast, you can tell. And when it's time to go to lunch, and some long-winded preacher sticking on, you can tell that they're irritated because they're just fidgeting, looking at the watch, looking at the phone. They, they gotta get, get something to eat because their stomach is telling them, you need food, you need food, you need food. And so, food is a necessary thing. There's nothing wrong wanting food or having food. And uh, the idea that food here is used as a temptation point by the devil, he's very clever. Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights Verse number one, then was Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. Well, no doubt. You and I cannot go five, six hours without being hungry, which is kind of normal, I guess. And so everybody's going to have to have their snacks at once. But I think we're going to have a snack day Sunday sometime. Bring your snacks, eat them in church, I'll preach for an hour and a half, and no one's going to fuss because you got your snacks to snack on. Well, he had fasted four days. Well, can you imagine how hungry he was? Can you imagine how starved he was after 40 days of fasting? Unbelievable hunger. Well, that would mean, as a man, unbelievable emotional trauma. That would mean unbelievable stress to give in to anything to get food. And so the devil tempts him three times. The first one is about food. Now here's what I want you to think, big picture. Three temptations. The first one is about food. The devil appealed to his need for food. Very clever. There's nothing wrong with food. He can turn his rocks into bread just for you because you're his son. I mean, why don't you just ask him? 
You see, and the temptation is very strong. And I'm gonna tell you this, when you are not feeling so good physically, you sometimes can be open to an attack by the devil because you're weaker in body and sometimes it affects your spiritual life. For sure, it affects your emotions. Now, so number one, there's nothing wrong with being hungry. There's nothing wrong with wanting food. But the devil used that to attack Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you this. He came. The devil came to him. Verse 3. The tempter came to him. You know who came to him? To Jesus? The tempter. The devil himself. Sometimes we wrongly say, the devil's tempting me. Well, let me ask this question. Are you as important as Jesus was on earth today? Is your stature, is your position in life as a Christian so important that the devil himself has to come to you? I think not. So when we say the devil is tempting me, he's after me, he's harassing me, what we may mean is that his demons are. After all, remember this, the devil has a kingdom. Remember one time Jesus was casting out devils and then he was accused by the uh, the Pharisees that he's doing by the power of Beelzebub and then the name of the devil and then the Lord come come back with him and said that uh, if the devil did that that his kingdom is fall, breaking apart you cannot do that that would be Matthew Mark chapter 3 a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand so he is saying the devil has a kingdom which means he has servants so it's more likely that devil's servants are the ones after you and me because we're small fry we're small we're shrimpies we are um, small marbles you know not important. <laughs> We're not bowling balls. We're small marbles. We're not big like that. And so the devil personally came to the to the Lord, but I don't think it comes to us personally. I think he uses his minions to do that. Anyway, um, uh, the devil was overcome because Jesus trusted the word of God to help. It is written. It is written again. It is written three times. He said that to the devil for three temptations. It is written. The second one. It is written again. The third one. It is written. How did he overcome the devil? Not by tricks, not by a silver bullet, not by the sign of the cross. Sign <laughs> of the cross, oh, go away. Watch out, devil. I'm gonna, I got six silver bullets. Says, Why do you need six? Well, I don't know, I just need five, because you know, David needs five stones, so I got six bullets. Uh, no, 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 not at all. Um, you don't need those things. He says, by the word of God, he rebuked the devil and he resisted those frontal attacks, those heavy temptations, unbelievable temptations of the devil by the word of God. And so that will be the same way in which you resist the devil. Now let me tell you this. If you are not spending time in your Bible, if you're so distracted with schoolwork, with work, with uh, things that just occupy your head and your mind, uh, and you don't have a little bit, you have only a little bit of word of God in you, you are going to you're going to crumble when the devil attacks you or when his minions attack you. You're going to have to build up some strength by being in the Word of God. Make it a point to spend time in the Bible. Force yourself, force yourself to read the Bible every day. Force yourself. Make yourself do it. I don't feel like doing it. Well, that's why you should make yourself do it. And after you make yourself do it, you find that it's enjoyable. Make yourself do it. Oh, but I'm so tired. You got time to watch TV. You got time to do this. You got time to do that. You don't have time to overcome your sleepiness. You should do that. You should do that. And so the Lord endured temptation, defeated the devil by scripture. Now here's something else. Here's something else. Jesus executed, carried out, fulfilled his father's will by submitting to the scriptures. So the third point about what did Jesus say about the Bible? 
his value of God was so high that it was the source of his strength to overcome the devil. His life of the Bible is so strong, so high, such a priority that that was what guided him in his earthly life to fulfill, to carry out, to execute his father's will to be submissive to the scriptures. That's what he thought about the Bible. It's so important. All these voices saying different things to him, but then he says, I must do my father's will. Today I must walk and tomorrow I must walk and do it in my father's will. And so he fulfilled scripture. He fulfilled scripture. His life and ministry was governed by the scriptures. He did what the father said. Twice Jesus said, twice Jesus heard his father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you can only be well pleased to your father if you are obeying and submitting to your father. Now you may not have an earthly father that's so worthy of your submission you think but what I'm trying to explain to you is that your heavenly father is worth submitting to so whoever is around you in your life it doesn't really matter you need to submit to your father's will by knowing what the Bible says and following what it says and doing what it says so Jesus executed carried out fulfilled his father's will by submission submitting to the word of God now look at Psalm 119 turn over here Psalm 119 Turn to verse 97. Of all the good verses in this psalm, let's look at this one verse. Verse 97. Here's what it says. Oh. Oh. Begins with, oh. How love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. That's a pretty convicting verse because whatever your day is like, somehow you need to get in there a day meditating on the Word of God. And if you do that, you will say as the psalmist did, Oh, how I love thy law. Right now, you and I can learn to love the Word of God more by spending time, our heads, our minds meditating on the scriptures folks we're going to have to use our noggins we need to we need to work on thinking what the Bible says and not being carried away with every wind of doctrine by foolishness that we see online by by even evil and wickedness but we see around us we have to let our minds be captured by the word of god only you can do that remember the smoky bear commercials i don't know if you do i remember the smoky bear commercials uh, there's a forest fire and smoky the bear is a, i don't know why they use a bear as a, a nice guy because bears are not nice but smoke the bear is a symbol of uh, okay when you go camping when you go out in the forest into the wilderness be careful you don't you leave your campfire going because Fires can start, and the smoke of the bear says, only, only you, only you can prevent forest fires. Well, that was a pretty good ad commercial because they're saying humans are the ones that can cause fires because they start fires, and they, if they don't put it out, they will cause fires in certain seasons. And so the, the thing is, only you, only you, only you can meditate on the Word of God. No one can medicate, medi medicate. <laughs> 
No one can medicate. <laughs> yes, we can. We can medicate you. Uh, take this pill. We'll medicate you. Only you can meditate on the Word of God. Only you can do that. I can't do it for you. You can do it for me. You can have to do it yourself. True? So make time for that. Make time for that. And you're going to find out after you make time to do that, you're going to find that you love the Word of God even more. Okay? So when we come to church on Sunday, and when you show up on Sunday, it's not because you got up thinking, oh boy, I just can't wait to go to church. Most people don't feel that way. Most people have a hard time to get up on Sunday. They get up to work on Monday, get up to go to school on Monday, but they have a hard time to get up to go to church on Sunday. You got to figure out something's funny going on here. Somebody's trying to keep you from getting the Word of God in you. Who would that be? Well, so when you get up on Sunday morning, you could get up Sunday morning if you don't go to bed so late Saturday night. That's what you can do. That's what you can control. And then you get up. Have your clothes already ready to go the, the Saturday night so that Sunday morning comes. You don't have to go, oh, what am I going to What am I gonna wear? I don't have nothing to wear today. I'm going to stay home. All kinds of excuses can come up. Well, listen. Make time. Come to church. Make time after you go home from church. Throughout your day. Throughout your week. Spend some time looking at Bible verses and thinking about what the Bible is saying. Read your Bible through regularly. Something every day. Read it. Meditate upon what you've read. Think about it. Ask the Lord what He wants you to do about what you've read. Don't just do. Good. You're not done. You haven't started anything yet. So, how much do you value the Word of God? Well, I don't know. That depends on you. It depends on you. I hope you raise it up. I hope you have a more increased value on the Word of God. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the Bible. Yes. Help us, Lord, to, to read it, study it, meditate upon it. Help us to value it greatly. Uh, you have placed great value on your Word. It's even above your name, your Son's name. But, Lord, help us as humans, as Christians, to uh, delight in it and help us to make it important to our lives. Strengthen your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.